0: It's one called strategic, where you and your advisor, uh, your family and the advisor would have sort of a targeted asset mix.
1: That when we're talking about rebalancing, that we shouldn't really focus just on, you know, the traditional thought of 30, 70, 60, 40. As we're looking at rebalancing, we should consider alternative assets or private market assets. Since
0: around 2009, we've really haven't invested in bonds unless there is a a client that uh, just wanted the... um, the cash flow and uh, the income that comes from that part of the portfolio. And instead of that, we use uh, alternatives. How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals where financial security and wealth
1: topics are not a taboo. Welcome back to the show. How is my financial health doc podcast? And uh, today we're going to dive a little bit into the investment world. Typically, I talk a lot about financial planning, I talk a lot about uh, basic financial literacy, but I think this topic merits a podcast on its own because whether you use the advice of an expert or whether you do this the DIY way, do it yourself, I think you need to understand this and I need to understand this. So today we have with us an expert. I have Mr. David McNichol who is president and portfolio manager of uh, McNichol and Associates. I know that Mr. McNichol does not like to be called Mr. McNichol. So for the rest of the podcast, he has given me permission to call him David. And he has my permission to call me Vu. And you know that everybody on the show calls me Vu anyway. David, how about you telling the audience? what you do, and a little bit about the the things that you can help us with.
0: Well, thank you, Vu, for the opportunity to speak to your audience. I'm an engineer by training. I got my engineering degree from Western University. Out of that, back in the 80s, I decided to get into the investment business. I was very fortunate to land a position at a trust company called Canada Permanent Trust. And Canada Permanent Trust was eventually taken over by Canada Trust, which is now owned by TD Bank. I spent six years of the first part of my career there uh, getting basic training, and learning everything about uh, managing money for individuals, estate planning, trusts, just dealing with investments. After about six years, I decided to start to, to go out on my own or uh, go out with a private partnership and start to build a book of business. And back in 2001, I uh, ventured out on my own and started my own firm, uh, McNichol & Associates Asset Management, as you said a moment ago. We take care of money for uh, individuals, uh, professionals, and we've got, uh, in my opinion, a very unique platform for managing money for people.
1: It's very interesting that an engineer like yourself would uh, jump both feet into the finance industry. You know, I have on my podcast talking about different revenue streams for healthcare professionals. And uh, unlike engineers, we tend not to jump in with both feet in. We tend to t- uh, tip our toes into the water and see sort of like what I'm doing right now. So, you know, congratulations on having succeeded jumping both feet in So today we're going to be talking about rebalancing. And I think this is a very important topic because, whether you are a do-it-yourself investor or you're in investing with a company like the firm that David uh, runs and operates, whether you decide on investment or saving, I think we need to understand a little bit about you know asset mix and asset allocation. And when we talk about that, there is no escaping talking about rebalancing. But this word rebalancing gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that I get a good lowdown from the expert. So, David, tell us a little bit what how you see rebalancing and what how we should see it.
0: Well, rebalancing is very important. And uh, as we all age, there should be a, a natural rebalance that goes on uh, so that uh, when we get into our more senior and retiring years, we're trying to reduce risk. And really, this whole uh, program, this whole investment industry is all about risk and reward. And they're a direct trade-off between the two. That's probably for another whole podcast. But uh, as you're rebalancing in your earlier years, you might do some kind of a regular uh, rebalancing. And then as you go through decades of your life, you want to make sure that you're trying your best to decrease the risk. You can't ignore it, just like your health. You have to spend time at this <clears throat> and you have to come back to it. Uh, I, I liken my business a lot to uh, dentistry. In many cases, not many people want to go see their dentist, but you really have to. So in the investment world, we try to do our best to make sure our clients come in for regular reviews and and educate themselves, much like you're doing here, Vu, with these, uh, these podcasts. The more you educate yourself at anything, the the less fearful it can be. Some people find investing uh, the most fearful thing in their life and talking about it and talking about money. has so much to do with being passed down from generation to generation, maybe even just part of their DNA. But um, so getting the education and then going back to uh, the topic of uh, rebalancing, there's all sorts of ways to do it. The three ways that we look at there's one called a strategic where you and your advisor, uh, your family and the advisor would have sort of a targeted asset mix. And when I say the term asset mix, that means how much you would have in different asset classes like stocks, bonds, cash, alternatives. I'm going to spend a little bit of time later on talking about alternatives. Because for Canadians, at least, they're a very um, unknown thing. And then once you come up with a targeted asset mix, it's got to be documented. It's got to be written down. You should make sure you have, you develop a personal relationship with your advisor. I don't think you can do that with a computer. I don't think you can do that if you're dealing with an institution where there's constant turnover.
1: So when we talk about rebalancing, the process of rebalancing is once we've set the asset mix, for example we've set it to, let's say a 60-40 blend, 60 equity, 40 uh, fixed income, for example, on an annual basis or on a regular basis, we'll talk about how we do that. Once we divert out of that balance, so we were initially at 60-40, so we were 60 equity, but now our equity has, has expanded, has ballooned, it has done well. And as part of our portfolio, we're now maybe potentially 70-30, where we're no longer in line with our strategic plan and risk plan. Is that when we do the rebalancing or is there other triggers that we should do and look at for the rebalancing? That's right. No, it's
0: it's really some goals that you've laid out in advance and you put some some outside parameters. So if, if it goes to 61 uh, 39 then that's really not that uh, critical. But if it gets to say a 70-30, like you just uh, suggested, then your advisor uh, or your manager should be making some adjustments. Um, Or you should be, if you have some extra cash flow, adding to the the asset class that has got underweighted. You know, this, the market, especially lately, this is uh you know, March 2nd, 2021, and the market has just moved so tremendously. So when these market moves are going, uh, you should, your, your manager, your portfolio manager, your advisor should be making moves in advance of things. See, uh, human beings, we all tend to be, uh, greedy and fearful. And you can't let either one of those extremes uh, take hold. You want to be much more neutral and you want to take the emotion out of this as best you can. You want to make sure that your uh, your advisor has not only your goals in place, but also how they fit in with uh, what's going on in the market. So there's, a, there's a, a, a balancing, rebalancing that goes on
1: there. So you mentioned the first uh, way to rebalance is strategic. Mm-hmm. And if you can remind us again, maybe just in one, two sentence, uh, what does strategic focus on when we're trying strategic to that? Strategic
0: is probably the most basic of approaches. A colleague of mine wrote to me today, it's more like a, the minor league uh, of asset allocation strategy, but it's still very important. It means that you're at least putting something in place. So you're rebalancing um, that in that example that you showed of a 60-40 and trying to keep it in that range until the next part of your life when you might uh, lower it even, even more. Uh, there's two other types that uh, we uh, work with in our industry called a, a tactical approach. That's what my firm uses. So I can talk a little bit more of that uh, pretty easily. And the final one is a dynamic. And uh, I'll, I'll go to the dynamic next uh, because it it it's more, um, you hear of things run by algorithms and computers and uh, they're really, truly trying to anticipate uh, market conditions in advance and making adjusted adjustments more rapidly. We can take, for example, uh, the, the Dow Jones, which is 30 companies. We can then, uh, through computer uh, relative strength comparison, pick the top five companies out of 30, and then it's all of a sudden it's a um, it's a war that whoever is in the top five always gets the money. But as soon as you fall out of that top five, then that's replaced with a name. This, this uh, dynamic approach uh, can, be, can be quite successful when you're in a very upward biased market like we have been for the last uh, dozen years or so. Uh, you can also have another asset class put in there of say cash. So when the market starts to get choppy and going sideways and or going down, then cash starts to dominate.
1: As an investor who may not necessarily work with a firm, uh, this type of dynamic rebalancing is probably not very practical. What are the more practical? You mentioned the tactical. I I would like you to explain that as well. But I would like the audience to understand a little bit what are the different ways that they can trigger a rebalance and when they would do it.
0: Sure. so I'll explain what tactical is now and then I can come back to what strategies people can take so tactical is one that we take uh, great interest in we think it's uh, the most nimble know, since around 2009 we've uh, really haven't invested in bonds unless there is a, a client that uh, just wanted the um, the cash flow and the the income that comes from that part of the portfolio. And instead of that, we use uh, alternatives. Now, alternatives are are not a very well-known thing in Canada. In the United States, uh, they're very common. The difference uh, between the two, Canada has about a a 5% average weighting in alternatives in their portfolio compared to Americans who uh, have north of 20%. The main reason this is the case, and this is only my personal opinion, the, uh, the Canadian banks have such a strong stranglehold on the investment community and the investment business in Canada. Um, they currently don't offer, for the most part, most of them don't offer investing in alternatives.
1: Um, when you say alternative, um, I'm, I think you're saying private market and private equity, or are you talking about derivative? derivative. So I am just want to make sure that I understand the term and that my audience understand the term. Yes, yes.
0: So that's right. Uh, we, alternatives can mean a whole array of things. The main ones that we look at are private real estate, uh, private equity, and uh, third party hedge funds. But there's other things like infrastructure, secondary funds, uh, derivatives that you alluded to there.
1: What I understand is what you're saying, uh, just so that my audience understand that when we're talking about rebalancing, that we shouldn't really focus just on, you know, the traditional thought of 30, 70, 60, 40. What you're saying is, as we're looking at rebalancing, we should consider alternative assets or private uh, market assets, uh, which come into the mix. And what you're saying is in Canada, typically we're talking about, you know, 5%, whereas in the U S they could be above the 20%. So when we're looking at rebalancing again, based on our risk capacity, risk tolerance, our age, where we are in life and where we are in our profession, when we look at all that, we should not forget about alternatives.
0: That's exactly right. I think get some education in the area, ask your your advisor uh, if they offer that. As I said before, most of the banks in the past have not offered this, they're starting to on a very limited basis. But once again, in my opinion, they're reluctant to do it because their their main uh, source of revenue is trading commissions, uh, interest on the cash that's in the account, foreign exchange, Canadians, Canadian banks make a, a quite an impressive return in foreign exchange, people going between Canadian and U.S. dollars. And so they don't ever want to lose that that revenue cycle by someone going into, say, an alternative program.
1: What is rebalancing? I want to I wanna understand why do we do it? I chose something fairly aggressive, 70-30. And when I say 70-30, just for the audience, typically we're talking about 70% equities and 30% fixed income. Now you're saying we're going to put into, into that mix maybe some private market assets in there. So let's just say 70-25-5. Let's just say that's what I started with. And on a regular basis, we'll rebalance. Why should we rebalance? Why? Why can't I just let it roll? Uh, why can't I do this for three years and not look at it? If you don't
0: get in front of trouble, trying to repair it after uh, the markets have rolled over,
1: it's too late. You know, we've heard people rebalancing or doing that exercise on an annual basis, so once a year, that's the calendar base, you can decide to, you know, have that trigger for yourself every year. Would you recommend that we do it semi-annually or quarterly? Is there a benefit in doing more frequently?
0: I think it really has to do when uh,
1: when the market is moved. If we bring it back and say, okay, so if I'm going to have some trigger to do it, whether we said it's a calendar trigger or we say when we're out of balance. So for example, I set myself 70, 25, five, but now my, uh, my, my equities have either gone very high or very low. I'm now out of balance. So another strategy to looking at when to trigger would be when I'm really out of balance beyond my my range, my corridor, let's say. Typically, how much out of that corridor would you say it's a good time to rebalance? Is it 5%? Is it 7%? So if I go from 70% equity, now all of a sudden my, my portfolio is is now not 70%, but it's now 80% in equity. That's how much is worth. Yes. Is that the time to do it? Is it at 5%? Is it at 7%? What would you say is the ideal...
0: Yeah, I would try to make up your own rules of thumb with your with your advisors, set up your own boundaries based on you know, what, what amount of risk you could take. So you have to set up your own tolerance. If you can expect or, or handle, I should say, say a 20% setback in your portfolio, then you're probably more of a risk taker. If you can accept, say, a 10% correction in your portfolio, then you're probably more of a, a medium or neutral. And if you can't ever ex- accept a, a loss in your portfolio, like if, if month over month you see one loss you want to get out, then you probably shouldn't be in the stock market to begin with. You should probably be in GICs and and you know other asset classes that just don't fluctuate that much. So,
1: so what you're saying is the if if I tend to be a, a riskier uh, investor I could allow a little bit more variance. Whereas if I'm a a conservative investor, then my variance would be lower. So for example, I'll take as an example, the 5%. Okay. So if, if I'm a conservative um, uh, investor, then I would say maybe at 3, 3.5%, that's when I start looking at things. Whereas if I'm a aggressive, investor, then I can let it roll to maybe up to 10% before I start rebalancing. Is that what you're saying?
0: That's that's exactly what I'm saying. And then you and your advisor will have some rules so that let's say it goes from your 70% weighting in equities up to 80, that extra 10%, while that might make you happy and your, your statements look better, it might not stay there forever, you could lose that rather rapidly in a short period of time. So then rather than letting that happen, dial it back down to 70 again, put that extra 10% into cash or into
1: bonds, or if your advisor has uh, alternatives, do that rebalance. Right, so very important because you keep bringing back uh, the alternative. And I I believe, I, I agree with you that the alternative should be part of the asset mix. Now, there's something that you said that I think is very important. Is I think you said it without really saying it, but I heard it. <laughs> is yeah. is that when we are rebalancing, we're actually doing to mitigate risk. We're not doing it for better returns because you say it might look really well on a on a on a piece of paper. Wow, I've got you know I've I've increased my my worth in equity, but and so what you're saying is that doing the rebalancing is a is a preventative work it's like it's like a family doctor doing the the preventative you know annual check the rebalancing is really like doing your blood work on an annual basis to check for your ldl or to check for your a1c you know to do some preventative work and where the value of the rebalancing is what you were saying is that we rebalance to mitigate risk because the time another march 2020 hits around another time where you don't have that risk tolerance then you'll be really exposed so the work of rebalancing is really to be preventive
0: that's that's exactly it
1: and it can be
0: mathematically done where you set numbers and as soon as those numbers are hit your advisor will do it for you or you can do it more passively where once a year you look at it during your at least your one meeting with your advisor hopefully you have more than one and um yeah, so it can be done several ways, uh, but it's got to be, a, there has to be a program to it. You know, then we can discuss the difference between, you know, active management and passive
1: management. For people who are using uh, advisors, the advisors will, you know, um, on an annual basis or on a regular basis, will, 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 will look at the, the portfolio and say, you know, Vu, we need to sit down because we need to rebalance. Uh, because things have gone a little bit uh, beyond what we've set our boundaries to be, and so there's that alert from the from the advisor. If you're doing it this on your own, you know you're doing a, a DIY do-it-yourself mm-hmm. managed portfolio, then you really, really need to pay attention to this, right? Because otherwise, it could go awry really, really fast, and you may not know it. So, if you are a do-it-yourself investor. Uh, you need to really pay attention and have those triggers for you, either every six months, every year, every th- every three months, up to you. Or you do it when there's a change in the market, like you mentioned earlier, David, a movement in the market that is significant enough. That's when you should trigger for yourself to do it. Uh, if you have an advisor, they typically will do that for you. That's right. So the, For the do-it-yourselfers, and uh, when
0: you have a very long bull market that we're in right now, There's more do-it-yourselfers than there are people working with uh, advisors. And so it really changes how the market functions as well when that happens. But uh, for the do-it-yourselfers, naturally, they're getting monthly statements. They should take that uh, information and set up their own spreadsheet that simply shows how much they have in each asset class. So then they'll know exactly what their asset mix is. And when it hits certain boundaries that they've set in advance, not That they set on the fly because then human emotion comes into it and we want to try our best to keep uh, emotion out of this because human beings are hardwired to protect themselves and they will unfortunately make wrong decisions at emotional times so that's really important for the do-it-yourselfer to say when this happens i have to do it you know i'm not going to ignore
1: it i i I believe that's very very correct so we do let our emotions run wild when it comes to investment and money. So the best protection for ourselves is really to protect us from ourselves. Really is right. to set those boundaries and abide by those boundaries. Now, we've yeah. talked a lot about the pros of why we should do this. What are the cons? What, what are the downsides of rebalancing or rebalancing on a, on a regular basis? There has to be some downside. So sure. let's sure. just address them quickly. So there's a
0: cost. There's a cost whenever you transact your account. For those people who think that they're trading their account for free because their uh, platform says they're free, that's another whole uh, podcast uh, vu. but there's no such thing as free. I, I listened to Charlie Munger speak uh, last week, I believe it was. Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's uh, partner and this 97-year-old man spoke for an hour and a half with no notes. And he said, this was a quote, something like, the biggest lie in the financial industry right now is free commission or commission free. Well, we, if anybody who's done some reading and understanding what's happened lately with this whole Robin Hood and GameStop, all those people investing are not doing it for free. There's all sorts of uh, commission being uh, paid to the platforms. Uh, They're selling their order flow and so and so. So, if you do these this rebalancing, and you should do this rebalancing, just accept that there is gonna be a cost to it. Uh, there'll be a small uh, brokerage commission if you're dealing with, a, with a, you know, I think, a, a proper platform that's not uh, selling your order flow. Warren Buffett is obviously uh, one of the best investors in, uh, in history. I just looked before the, uh, the call here He has something called slippage, where he does not believe in slippage. Um, He has never split his stock in all the years he's run Berkshire Hathaway. So one share uh, is now worth $377,835. So if you want to buy one share in Class A at Berkshire Hathaway, you have to pay almost $400,000 for one share. Now, most people can't do that. Um, so he does have a class B for $250 it's trading for right now. So he made that one concession so that people who couldn't afford the whole shares years ago could at least participate in his company. So when you rebalance your portfolio, there will be slippage. Uh, and that is a, uh, just, uh, one of the, the, the
1: cons. There's also taxes, right? So every time you buy and sell, you transact, you potentially will trigger some taxes.
0: That's exactly right. So you want to make sure for taxable accounts that you're you're rebalancing based on uh, gains and losses. If you're not keeping track of that, uh, make sure your your tax advisor is is giving you guidance on that. Don't do the rebalancing when it comes to that uh, at the end of the year. Frankly, sometimes by the time December comes around, it's uh, to sell some of your, um, your losers as they were, uh, they're going to be even lower in December. So we try to do it in September, October. <clears throat> we just have a, a natural rebalancing that happens for all of our, our uh, taxable accounts.
1: That's a, that's a very good tip. <laughs> that was an amazing tip.
0: I know I have used the term alternative quite a bit, and I'm not doing that just as a plug for our platform. I'm doing that as the world has changed. Interest rates are so low now, you can't rely on bonds anymore. Frankly, bonds are no longer a stabilizing uh, asset class. Uh, alternatives are not scary, by the way. Uh, our pension plans, over 50% of that portfolio that's being managed by, uh, on our behalf is in alternatives. Uh, if you know any teachers in the province of Ontario, their pension plan, the Ontario teachers pension plan is over 70% in alternatives. If you recall, they, they used to own even the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, and that was an incredible investment for Ontario teachers. And they might've sold at the right time. So all I'm saying is it's a natural part of the modern portfolio. Uh, let's Let's not do things that sort of worked in the past as they always put the disclaimer on things in my industry, you know, past performance is not indicative of the future. Well, it's not because everything changes and uh, so you have to adapt uh, uh, on your own.
1: So thank you for making that point. And I think that very important because when you read uh, investment blogs or you read Investopedia You know, there's always just two assets, there's always just equity and there's always just bonds. And what you're saying is, you know, Vu, this is not the real world anymore. The real world moving forward is you need to have some allocation to uh, private market assets or alternative, as you say. And so when we are looking at rebalancing, we should consider that. And so rebalancing is just a process of making sure that everything is aligned to your risk uh, profile, but make sure that you do add some alternatives in there as you are rebalancing, because that's, I believe, is where the future is heading. And so just thinking that there's only just two assets, asset and bond is probably old school for now.
0: Absolutely. And there's one other quote I wanted to uh, say, and I think it's sort of important at this point. Uh, There's an old saying in the investment business, and uh, this was especially uh, prevalent back uh, decades ago when i started Uh, what's good for business is bad for clients and what's good for clients is bad for business right now in 2021 it seems like uh, life is you know is never going to change and i don't want to pick on the banks too much because every firm has its own level of uh, conflicts but you just have to keep that in mind Uh, even for the do-it-yourselfers you know that someone else is on the other side of that trade someone's executing it for you hopefully they're not front-running hopefully they're not selling your order flow uh hopefully they're not lending your stock out without you knowing and you participating in that so just remember you're trying to you know grow this this portfolio for you and your family and your retirement you're not trying to make some other institution rich
1: We've uh, talked about rebalancing. We've talked about alternatives. We've talked about you know, investment philosophy. So this was a good episode on investment.
0: So uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk out loud.
1: It was a pleasure having you on our podcast. And uh, we have definitely benefit from your uh, knowledge, but also your skill and experience. So thank you very much, David, for coming well, on you're to the show. Welcome. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode on rebalancing. And if you are a DIYer, you must remember that you need to rebalance. If you are working with an advisor, make sure that you rebalance on a regular basis. And this is really to mitigate risk. So this was really good and I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed it. Well, we missed some of you on June 4th uh, during our all day personal financial literacy webinar don't worry for all of those who missed it we're going to do it again yes we're going to do a whole day again personal financial literacy webinar Uh, we're going to do it virtually this time september 17th so if you didn't get a chance to join us on june 4th we're going to do it again on september 17th same format and it was extremely interactive some of the people have told me, Vu, where have you been all my life? How come I don't know this? And well, you know what? Because nobody teaches us these type of things. So we're going to have another seminar on September 17th. And I'm hoping that you guys can join us. You know, I would love to hear from uh, the audience and get feedback from you. If you have any questions, you have any feedback or comments, please uh, email me at hmf h d 2020 at gmail.com so my email is h m f h d 2020 at gmail.com and you can also visit my website at financial health in one word dot com dot com where i post some of the blogs and most of the podcast. If you don't hear this on your podcast platform, you can also hear it and access it through my website. How is my financial health doc? podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer or accountant for specific advice.